Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Yankees Magazine podcast. I'm Hillary Georgie, and joining me is John Schwartz. Happy holidays. And Ari Hecht. Hello. Happy holidays. Ari's here instead of Nathan, who is out sick, and Al is uh, out on vacation because it's the holidays and it's a ghost town here. So we are happy to have you, Ari. <laughs> I think you. you'll um, add a lot to the podcast because, I, hope so. I mean, we enjoyed you the first time you're Thank on. Thank you. Thank you. So we're happy you to have you a, back. You earned a return trip. Yes, I exactly. Friend of the pod over here. <laughs> um, so this episode, I think we're just going to do a little recap, a review of some of our favorite things we've done this year, some of our favorite things we've read this year, seen this year, Yankees or otherwise, because, you know, it's nearly 2019 and 2018 has been like seven years long. So a lot has happened. What do you guys remember? What do you guys love? What what happened that you were jazzed about? Remember on opening day when... No. Carlos Stanton hit two home runs. I do remember that. You were there for that. Or do you perhaps remember opening day at Yankee Stadium no. when it did not happen because it was snowing? Yeah, don't remember Yankee beautiful weather yeah. opening day. Yeah. But then the next day, Didi Gregorius had eight RBI, so. Yeah, it was uh, two pretty fun openers, both the season opener and the home opener. And um, John, you did the season opener in Toronto. You traveled for that one. I did. And that was, I really, you know, when we start planning out this season you know you, you always kind of have to take the chance that it might become a really special year mm-hmm. and um you know it was Aaron Boone's first game it was Giancarlo Stanton's first game and kind of seemed like not to sound ridiculous but if the team's going to win the World Series this year like somebody was, should be there for that yeah we should kind of document how it all started and it was special to be there it, it definitely felt like something new it felt like something unique you know I've covered baseball slash the Yankees for a long time but in all that time I'd only cover two managers and you think about the Yankees as this like volatile crazy franchise and all these things but it had only ever been Torrey and Girardi and this was something very different and it was fun watching uh, Aaron and his his own confusion and mm-hmm. his own discomfort and his own you know attempt to try to figure out what he was supposed to do and to watch uh, Stanton kind of literally take the podium make it a little um, bit easier for him that first day he did and, and it was just you know it, it, the offseason's so long and we're, we're mired in the middle of it right now mm-hmm. and i mean you could say whatever you want about the season ending earlier than you wanted it to but like even if it had gone on two weeks like, longer the offseason is so long and you know spring training's fun and all these things but there's just something about that first real game that it was special to be a part of this year yeah Ari, what uh, what were some of your memories from those first few months of the season? And I'm like thinking about trying to replay the year, which <laughs> I have two little kids, so I don't sleep much. But um, looking back, actually, to spring training, I had booked my trip based around photo day, right? And I lucked out and being there when Russell Wilson was there. Yeah, I went to the University of Wisconsin. Go ahead, John. <laughs> Make one of your comments. No comment. No comment. Um. University of Wisconsin, by the way, uh, who will be at Yankee Stadium next week. For oh, that's the right, for the Pinstripe Bowl. Pinstripe Bowl. Pick, up pick up the program. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I was there the whole time he was there. And although he was only at Wisconsin a brief time, he still, still went counts. there. He counts. <laughs> he was wonderful there. So it was very cool to meet him. Super, super grounded guy. He took in a bat in a spring training game. He didn't do anything but (laughs) so cool to witness that but it was a great year I went to the all-star game which is always crazy Mm -hmm. it was very cool to see Glaber and Miguel have a lot of success this year John and I in 2016 went to the Arizona Fall League and covered them 
then. Glaber was just, what, 19 years old yeah. then. We actually, though, even well, before, before that. that yeah. yeah. Before that, John and I went to Tampa right when the week we got after. Glaber and we met him. So this has been like a whole journey you've seen. 100%. We've seen him kind of like come up through the system quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but also with, you know, he's kind of been the name that everyone's talked about. Right. Whereas Anduhar was a little more, you know, a background guy, but he really made his presence known this season and seeing all their success again, which we saw them in kind of their infancy progress to the major league level yeah. this year and really make a name for themselves. That was, was a pretty great. special yeah, part of cool the year. year. It was very cool. And um, one of the things you spearheaded, you brought in Ira Block, yes. a Nat Geo photographer, to uh, kind of do a day in the life of the stadium kind of thing. Tell us about that because that was such a cool photo essay we had in the magazine. So just to rewind, um, being an avid Instagram <laughs> user, I follow a lot of photographers. Sure. And I had started following Ira before I knew him. And he was at a Yankees game and had posted a picture of the photographers in the photo well. Mm-hmm. So I was like, wait, this guy is here. I went over, introduced myself, and we forged a friendship from that day on. And he comes to a ton of games and is a big Yankees fan and an unbelievable photographer. And I had the idea to bring him in as a guest photographer and do a photo essay for us. So he did that. And he just did a tremendous job documenting the Yankee Stadium experience, the game experience through his lens. And um, he's just a tremendous talent, a tremendous person, and a great friend. And I was happy that we were able to do it. I'm really curious when you think back on the entire year, Ari. Like, I mean, you're shooting, what, 40 games a year, you yourself? Yeah. So now that Barry and I share responsibility. Barry Schneiderman. Barry Schneiderman. You know, it's it's pretty much down the middle with the home games and then coupled with spring training, postseason, off-site feature stories, and then everything in between that Mm -hmm. happens on non-game days. But in terms of the games, yes, it's it's more like 50-50 now. It's really, I mean, it's it's, it's obvious to us, you know, when Giancarlo Stanton hits a milestone home Mm -hmm. run, obviously we need a photo of that. In just the general day-to-day, like, what are you looking for, like, as you are now doing this for what the 15th year Sergeant 05 I always have to like count them yeah. um, <laughs> what are you trying to what are you trying to see that you haven't seen at this point with regards to a game I'm just trying to tell the story of the game visually through my lens so I can't control what happens on the field I can control what pictures I take and you just hope that you get a great photo, just one. Right. You don't need hundreds, just one great <laughs> photo a game. And it doesn't necessarily need to be the obvious you know, home run shot. Sometimes it's something that happens in the dugout. Sometimes it's something that happens in the stands. But you just want to have one great shot a game. The problem is there's many games where, I hate to say it, it's just boring. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing that happens, and so you just have to make something else work that maybe doesn't tell the story of the game but tells about a moment. So in terms of my thought process, it's, it's, it's really just setting a goal to get a great frame, I guess, is what it comes down to. I think you and Barry both do a great job of forging really good relationships with the players in, insofar as they trust you. So you can see their personalities come out through your photos right. in a way that doesn't come out through other people's photos. And I think that's something you guys do really well during batting practice. And even in games, when you're shooting just in the dugout, you'll see they'll play to your camera, yeah. which is really, really cool. Well, they they know us. You know, we, 
we're different than the media and that we work for the team. And so we're, sh- we're showing them in a positive light. And with social media today, you know, they need us um, just as much as we need them. But there is a mutual respect, um, especially with the younger guys, yeah. you know, the ones who are active on social media and, you know, want the photos and need the photos. But yeah, I mean, they're legit friendships mm-hmm. that we've made and they definitely play to the camera and whether it's Anduhar like winking or sticking his tongue out or or Didi making a silly face you know it's just it's nice to have that kind of you know comfort and right friendship there's, or yeah there's a friendship there's a trust level there and yeah. that brings me to John one of my favorite stories of the year was one you wrote about Esteban Florial and you kind of built a trust with him over the last couple of years. He let you tell a story that was so interesting and so well reported. And so I don't know what the right word is. It was just like so important because he has gone through a lot just to get where he is. And he's still climbing up the system and he's supposed to be like this amazing talent. And who knows if that would have even happened. Yeah, uh, thank you, first off. I mean, that's really extremely kind to say. That's the story that's going to stick with me. I mean, I feel very fortunate and honored, really, that, uh, you know, he had a crazy background where, I mean, I think this this is probably the 17th time I've mentioned this on this podcast, but he had an identity issue. It wasn't a case where he was stealing an identity to try to improve his chances of signing Not through no fault of his own. He literally had no papers, Mm -hmm. needed to go to school, his mother found papers essentially and it wasn't a problem until 10 years later when he became an incredible baseball player and suddenly they were just like this isn't you right <laughs> and i got very lucky that over the course of literally about two years i had kept kind of running into him and speaking to him and trying to figure out exactly what parts of his story were real mm-hmm. because you would read things about him and every story about him had like some different details and not all of them added up and not all of them made sense. And, you know, a lot of it was me trying to figure out from him if it was just a language barrier issue between the two of us because he was talking about not being from Haiti. And I'm mm-hmm. trying to explain, like, everything says you're from Haiti. What, <laughs> what do you mean you're not from Haiti? And, you know, I dug deeper and deeper and deeper. And he just sat down with me in a grocery store and <laughs> <laughs> um, proceeded to just tell me the whole thing. And then this was in the Dominican. I then got very lucky that, you know, I was able to speak to the people from the Yankee side who gave their perspective on the whole thing. I spoke to MLB and got their perspective. I spoke to his agent slash manager, whatever you want to call it, in a hotel bar in the Dominican who gave me his whole perspective. Mm. And this just, it was such a complex story because you're dealing with literally someone's bio, Mm. um, their life. Something that should be easy to get right. It should be easy to get right, but also it's something that you really don't want to screw up. Exactly. Um, And I've never been more nervous about a story. (laughs) I've never worked harder in terms of pressuring fact checkers and things like that to really nail every detail. I was just terrified that one stupid thing was I was going to get wrong and it was going to ruin the whole story. And yeah, I'm really, I'm very proud of it. I'm very, like I said, grateful. He did not need to pick me in a sense. And I, I think he's a special guy. You know, I hope he becomes a great major league baseball player, whether it's for the Yankees or someone else, just because I... You're rooting for him. I am. And you, and you, take, you get this sense of like ownership in a sense when you spend so much time with somebody and you work so hard to get this thing out there. You know, of course I want the story... Uh, to look good so I want him to become a great baseball player but it's just like I know what he's been through and I know I've heard about like the afternoons where he was crying in a car because like he just couldn't figure out why he wasn't Dominican Mm -hmm. which should be such a simple question that like you are Dominican you were born in the Dominican you lived there all your life you're Dominican and 
you know, he was this, you know, kid who was just like, I don't understand why that's not good enough. He's a special dude. And yeah, I will remember that one for a while. Yeah. It was a fun year in that regard. It was a good one. It was called Rocket Man. It was in the May issue. It's still online. I encourage everybody to go read it. Let's talk uh, about you. No, Tanaka. What about it? <laughs> I, no, I mean, there, there were a couple of things you did this year, Hillary, that I mean, bigger and smaller. There was a story you did about just how fun um, Charleston is. Yeah. Which I think that it did exactly what we're always trying to do with our minor league stories, which is not just, look, I mean, you wrote a great profile of J.P. Sears this year, mm-hmm. and it was really good. Um, Thanks. <laughs> no, no, it, it was, but it also, there, there, there wasn't that much separating that story from, you know, a profile you would right. do of a major leaguer. It right. was a it was a profile of an interesting baseball player who was kind of local to where he was playing, and it was really good. The story you did about Charleston is why we do the minor league report. It's to show that, like, these are these little, you know, small worlds that kind of, like, are tangentially related to the product on the field here, but it's not just about, you know, developing talent. It's yeah. also about, like, creating these experiences and creating these communities and, you know, like, Charleston is this vibrant and odd and fun yeah. city beautiful. and, yeah, beautiful. And it also has this vibrant and weird and fun <laughs> and, sure, beautiful yeah. baseball team that's in the middle of it. And I, and I loved the way you showed just... I mean, everything from, you know, talking about the history of the team to talking about choosing to celebrate, you know, their 25th anniversary instead of saying the 25th anniversary (laughs) by celebrating it in dog year. So 175th anniversary. I mean, all those things that you brought in there. I mean, I'd love just to hear your process and that story. Yeah, thank you. I mean, Charleston, Ari and I went down to Charleston, what was it, a couple years ago. Yeah. That was my first time. I think your first time my down first there, time. too. Oh, yeah. And we it was, were, we like fell in love. Yeah, we were blown away by it. And the people were so nice. And we wound up meeting Bill Murray, who's a, Bill Murray. A, a co-owner of the team. And they had this whole philosophy, this like fun is good philosophy. They, they would do anything to, you know, bring people into the ballpark. Because minor league baseball, it's great and it's awesome. And these people might eventually be major leaguers, right. but it's a hard sell. But you got to make it an experience. Exactly. So you have to make it an experience. And really nobody is better at that than Charleston, where they do the craziest promotions and the wackiest like nights. They had Technicolor night where they gave everybody like a bag of colored chalk. And at the in the middle of like the seventh inning, they were like, okay, everybody throw up your chalk. And it was just this Technicolor, amazing. I don't know if it was a nightmare or like a beautiful <laughs> sight. <laughs> For me, cleaning it up, it would have been a nightmare, but it was so cool. I went back in their history, and this has been happening. It's not new. They've been doing this for just about as long as they've been around. Back in. I think it was the early 2000s they did nobody night where they didn't let anybody into the ballpark because they wanted to set the record for lowest attendance. (laughs) So they kept the gates closed until the fifth inning when the record was kept. Nobody came to the game and then they let people into the game. It was so funny to hear these stories and to talk to the guys who are coming up with the ideas now. And and the funny thing is, I mean, you know, people love talking about the Bill Murray part Mm -hmm. of this, but the real like bones of this in some ways are Mike Vec. Yeah, um, Mike who, Vec. It's not just the name. He, he is, you know, Bill Vec's son. Yes. And like this whole idea of like crazy, silly, you know, no sacred cows and let's yep. make baseball fun. He wants you to push the envelope. He, this is like their mission statement is do it and then do it better. Do it bigger. Do it more weird because they're never going to they mean they might say no, but they're so willing to say yes. Loved it. That's awesome. And that was the coolest part for me. It was a great story. Fun is good. What month uh, did that run in? I think it was um, it was the last one, September. Okay. The last time we did a minor league report because it, it ended the year. Yeah. It was indeed a very fun story. I mentioned at the top of this uh, Tanaka, totally yeah. the opposite side of this, but also <laughs> not really the opposite because, you know, man, Tanaka's a tough nut to crack in some ways, and, and you found a way 
to show the fun side of Masahiro Tanaka, which I don't think you've really seen anywhere. And I think that's a credit to you as a credit to what we do as a magazine in the sense, and, and, and the way the players respond to us in some ways. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, there's a lot of stories written about Masahiro Tanaka um, for good reason. He's a very good pitcher. You don't often get a story, and I think this is by his choosing, you don't often get a story about Masahiro Tanaka's personality. And I'm just curious how you were able to make that happen. I mean, honestly, I had talked to Masa very little, maybe like a couple times for color for other stories that I was doing. I think I talked to him once about an Olympic story I was doing because he played in the Olympics. And I really didn't have much interaction with him. So for me, I just wanted to get to know him. And that's what I went into it as. I didn't want to interview him really as like, let's get to the bottom of this, that, and the other thing. I just wanted to have a conversation with him. And that was my whole mindset going in. So I set up with Shingo and Yoshiki, who are our great Japanese media relations crew and interpreter. And they said, okay, Masa, we'll talk to you. Like, we'll give you this much time. And I was like, great. And I had really, really no expectations. And I think that was important because I just wanted to talk to him. And I think that is what put his guard down. I wasn't asking him, like, tough questions. I wasn't trying to get him or trick him or make him, like, accountable for anything. I was just like, hey, tell me about this. How are you feeling? What was this like? You know, it was just a conversation between two people. I was genuinely interested in who this person was and how his mind works and why he does the things that he does. And I think the best way to ask that is to go human to human and just be like, hey, tell me what you're thinking. And he was very kind and very funny. Even though he was speaking Japanese, he could get a lot of the things that I was saying. And I don't speak Japanese. So I didn't understand what he was saying, but there was laughter in the conversation. He understands English. (laughs) (laughs) So he, so we knew kind of, I knew that my message was getting across and that my fun and lightheartedness that I try to bring to every interview that I do, I try to keep things very light all the time, most of the time. I think that was coming across and I think that helped to allow him to open up a little bit more. I think that stories like that definitely reflect the ambition that we're aiming for. Um, the magazine I loved and I, and I this sounds selfish because I played a big role in pushing for this and making it happen but we did a story this year on just like you know the way the Yankees brand resonates in Korea mm-hmm. and I loved that because it was so unusual yeah. it was so not the type of thing we had to do not the type of thing we would normally do we had this great writer Sung Min Kim who writes about the Yankees from South Korea and spent he went to college in the States he spent some time here he's a fascinating guy you know great photographer really young just big fan and I've, I just wanted to know like you know what is it like to wake up at 3 a.m. to watch you know a Yankees game which yeah. is what he kind of or stay up or whatever and it's kind of the time is just so different and I want to know how you follow the Yankees there but also what it means to follow the Yankees mm-hmm. there and what the Yankees mean there and you know this goes back to when I first started at baseball and kind of you start kind of running out of story ideas eventually um, <laughs> and I've always kind of thought that you know the most interesting thing that's happening in baseball you know as great as the Yankees are as great as the Red Sox are as great as that rivalry is whatever it's what's happening internationally because it's, it's the way the game is growing obviously this is going to be a big year for that Ari you know Hopefully, you'll get to spend some time in London uh, when the Yankees play the Red Sox there. But there's just so much fascinating stuff that's happening internationally. And the Yankees are absolutely a global brand and, or as Brian Cashman would say, a fully operational Death Star. So maybe it's an inter-universal, inter-universal um, right, yeah. brand. But, you know, I, I really loved that we don't just stop at the gates of Yankee Stadium or at the state line or even, you know, at the ocean. Like, that was just a, there was no reason to run that story other than, you know, it was worth it just to investigate something that was totally different. I hope people enjoyed it. It was called the World Game, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. And it was just, like I said, it was just so different. 
And I'll throw another, so that if that's in Korea, this is the most local possible story. Nathan, who's not with us today. Um, he's homesick. He's so homesick. I feel better, Nathan. <laughs> he's, not he's not dead. Um, sorry. What, what's the most basic question you could have about baseball? I mean, it's just kind of like, so, you know, what does it feel like to hit a home run? Mm-hmm. And he literally just got Giancarlo Stanton to tell him what it feels like to hit yeah. a home run in incredible detail. Yep. Stanton is not the easiest interview on the team. He's not the guy who's the most available necessarily. He is very careful with his answers. And he just sat down with Nate and really just gave him just every single thing about, like, you know, how he approaches at bats, how he adjusts from a bat to a bat, how he's adjusted over the course of his career, everything from that up to, like, the sensation of impact. Mm-hmm. And Nate told me, and, and Nate would never say this on the air, and I'm going to say it because Nate would never brag. But he told me that it was really hard to set up with Giancarlo because, you know, it kept on getting pushed back. And, you know, you never know what you're going to kind of get mm-hmm. from like, a guy who is in demand like that. And, you know, Giancarlo is a really nice guy and he's a really interesting guy, but he also can be very just, you know, blank faced yeah. in a lot of ways. And you don't always know which one you're going to get. But, uh, you know, Jason Zillow, our head of PR, helped Nathan set this one up. And he told Nate afterward that, you know, when they shook hands and went their separate ways, that afterward, um, Giancarlo said to him, to Jason, like, that was so much fun. That was way more fun than I expected. That was great. (laughs) And I think it turned into a great story. And you could see, obviously, that he was engaged and talking about it. But, you know, it's one of those things that Giancarlo Stanton's going to be around here for a long time. And, you know, Nathan's going to be around here for a long time because he is not, in fact, dead. He is simply sick today. (laughs) Um, and you know, no, I, but you don't hear that kind of compliment yeah. from like an right. athlete. More than that, what I'm what I'm trying to say is, I'm very interested to hear what the next story mm-hmm. Nathan's able to do with Stanton as a result of the fact that that one went really well. Is right. and obviously, you know, they're going to see each other a lot, whether it's spring training or in the stadium. And I would think that it's just going to create this ability for Nathan to really get inside Stanton in ways that mm-hmm. a lot of other writers can't. That was just an extremely fun story, prelude to a cloud. And Ari, you did a cool uh, photo shoot with oh, him absolutely, for that story. yeah. It was great. Jim actually shot the portrait, but it was a bit of chaos that day yeah. because it we did it on photo day. Because <laughs> it was team, it was team photo, which is probably the most stressful day of the year. <laughs> um, but I'm, I'm just like trying to replay the year mm-hmm. like more and more, and like I forgot. I mean, January was so far, so long, so ago, yeah. so long ago. But I had gone to Arizona and done the shoots with Aaron Hicks. Oh, right. Hicks and, and um, Chance Adam. Chance was out there. And those were awesome. I mean, whenever you have the opportunity to get a player, whether it's a current player, a former player, a minor league guy who's coming up in the system away from the ballpark, it always makes for amazing photos and a great story because you're taking that person, you're putting them in their environment, which they're comfortable with. Right. And it's just just a great opportunity so we had set up to go spend a day with Aaron Hicks in Arizona where he lives in the off season and then the next day we went and did a day with Chance Adams in Arizona as well Mm -hmm. and it was just an unbelievable opportunity they both were so easy and amazing to work with and I think at the end of the day we got some great photos and a couple great features out of it speaking of great photos from that one of the funniest things about that trip which I mean I don't think too many people would, would recognize. There was this sensation over the offseason um, on one day because Aaron Hicks put a photo online of him it's lifting like that literally oh, looked yeah. like, you know, he had borrowed like 14 <laughs> other people's biceps and taped them together and put them on his because it was so insane. And everyone's like, oh my God, what is happening to Aaron Hicks? And, you know, what we can't say at the time because, you know, we're not running the story for several months, right. but it's like, that's our stuff and we can't wait to show you all of this stuff. <laughs> yeah, it got have. like picked up all over the place. <laughs> yeah. But the trainer he worked with was a trainer who had worked with Serena Williams mm-hmm. 
and is currently he's back working with Aaron, um, but he also works with another up and coming tennis player, and he's just this unbelievable guy. So it was just it was a it was a great opportunity. And you we know. might say Aaron Hicks had a pretty, pretty successful pretty season. Good year. <laughs> season. Pretty good year. <laughs> that's just really cool. I'm glad. I'm really the game photography that we get is exceptional, but the access we get on feature photos mm-hmm. is a big part of you know why we can look back at the end of a year and you know just be very proud of the full product that we produce every year. Yeah, because you also, I mean, the same thing like with features, the same thing with stories is like we can all write a game story. I can all we can I can take stock photos mm-hmm. of a game, but it's finding a different angle within the features you write, finding a different angle within the photos we take that really like takes it to the next level. And it's a constant challenge to do that, but I think we do a great job at making it different and unique and just making it our own. Yeah, for sure. And for me personally, I get inspired by the people I work with, but also I read a ton and I look at a lot of different stories and stuff online and I'm curious about what you guys read and look at that inspires you. Like what were some of the cool things that you read this year that kind of made you think differently or inspired you in a different way? It's like, I, tell, I mean, I don't want to sound like this is, we, we, we did talk about this beforehand, so it's not like <laughs> I just have everything totally at the ready, but there's three things that I want to talk about real okay. quick, one of which I won't <laughs> shut up about, so I'm going to try to do my best. There was a, a story that John Branch wrote in the New York Times this year about his son and Rubik's Cubes and kind of like his son who had some social difficulties and everything like that and he just kind of like fell in with this like collection of you know Rubik's Cube masters and who do go to all these tournaments and everything like that and you know (laughs) and if you watch video of this stuff and I actually I will tell you I once randomly was with my son at the Liberty Science Center and we were just like walking around and they were actually having like the Rubik's Cube championships that day and I had never seen anything (laughs) like this because they literally like they they pull a box off that's covering the Rubik's Cube mm-hmm. and they just like blah, 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 and three seconds put their hands down and it's done and it's the craziest thing to watch and you can go online and watch all kinds of videos and whatever however boring it sounds right now I assure you it's gonna it's mind-boggling <laughs> to watch this happen but the story was just about him finding a community and him finding ways to express himself mm-hmm. through and, and also which is like explaining kind of like the craziness of you know the lubricants they use um it, it, to make these things and, and you know the way that they you know, mod- modify the Rubik's Cube. So it was a really fascinating story. Another thing, I, I wonder if either of you guys read this because this was so amazing. Taffy Broadster Ackner wrote... I was going to bring up Taffy because she's one of my favorite profile writers. She's remarkable. And I happen to know her a little bit and she's great. She goes to my synagogue. But she wrote a profile this year on Bradley Cooper. That was a good um, one. I, I was going to bring up the goop one. <laughs> which is amazing, amazing, by the way. The Bradley Cooper one, what I found so interesting about it is it was obviously related to A Star is Born and, mm-hmm. and whatever you know about A Star is Born, this is Bradley Cooper's like ultimate labor of love. Mm-hmm. He did everything for it, wrote it, directed it. Um, starred in it. Starred in it obviously and he basically is a nice guy and was willing to sit for the interview that he was told to sit for but he kind of kept challenging her on everything she would ask by saying like why do you care about Mm -hmm. this and I don't want to answer this and the answers in the movie and yada yada and we've all kind of had interviews like that not maybe to the extent you know of this where you know when you're there like I need to come back from this with some sort of story and it can't just be you know Frank Sinatra has a cold Mm -hmm. and what she ended up doing in this profile was accepting what he was saying at face value which is to say like why do i care about this and Mm -hmm. what and and she turned it around on herself the third third of that profile is really it's almost a profile of herself more than anything and it's why 
maybe he's right and maybe i am asking the wrong questions here and maybe i maybe i should look at you know the ways that i'm doing this and it became just a, an excellent profile it, it gave you a real sense of who bradley cooper was <laughs> um it you know did a great job of talking about the movie and the incredible thing that he had created mm-hmm. but it was just the most like bracing and confident in its lack of confidence right. almost <laughs> it was just a fantastic profile so that those are those are the two i'll get to my third one in, mm-hmm. a, in a minute but i want to hear what you what else you have to say on Taffy or, or in general? Anyone, sure, I mean, anything. Taffy is, yeah, the goop story <laughs> was so good. It was, like, so biting, but, like, in the best possible way. A Taffy is, like, whenever she writes something, it is the first thing I read, like, that morning. One of the things that I loved most this year was a documentary called Free Solo about a- Alex Honnold, and he climbed up El Capitan, a 3,000-foot granite wall in Yosemite National Park. He did so without any ropes or anything. Um, He was the first person to ever do it. And, I mean, I'm a climber. Was it without any ropes or was it just without Without any? any, Without any ropes, without anything. Yeah. So they made this documentary. Jimmy Chin and his wife, Chai Vassarelli, were the filmmakers. Jimmy Chin is an amazing climber in his own right, and he and Chai did another documentary a few years ago called Meru, which was about Jimmy and his uh, couple climbing partners who climbed up this other impossible mountain. But I really liked this documentary and uh, specifically a profile about Chai that came out alongside the documentary because Chai is not a climber. She does not care at all about climbing. She doesn't understand it. She doesn't get it. So what Chai brought to this movie was just like the human element like jimmy can make an amazing climbing movie about like the crazy shots and the amazing physicality that goes into climbing and what chai was saying was like yeah but look at this human this guy who like just got a girlfriend you know and his girlfriend who is falling deeply in love with him and he's falling in love with her and she asks him like is there anything that would make you not want to do this and alex just boldly says no I'm going to climb this. And he knows that he could die. Like he's climbing 3000 feet without a rope. He can climb 200 feet without a rope and still die. Like this is an impossible thing to do. And just the humanness of that. And the fact that Chai was the one who was saying like, (laughs) these are the, these are the things that people are going to relate to. Like you can impress them with your climbing, (laughs) but you're going to draw them in with the human. And I thought that was incredible. So Ari, I assume that tomorrow you're going to have a different answer to this after you see Michelle Obama. Tonight. <laughs> um, but what's what's your favorite thing that you saw, or read, or heard, or experienced this year? I hate to admit it, but I haven't read anything so poignant this year that <laughs> was life altering. I listen to podcasts. I'm in my car. If I'm not here, I'm in my car. Mm-hmm. And if I'm not in my car, I'm not here. I'm with my kids. <laughs> so there's little opportunity to read but i listen to a lot of podcasts the yankees magazine podcast obviously obviously i listen r2c2 because i feel like they do a great job at like getting the guys to show like their true colors and real personality is something you don't see typically r2c2 is uh ruko ryan ruko and cc sabathia it actually yeah you're right they do a great job and i i listen to a ton of sports radio just because i feel like so I know what's going on day to day. It's the but industry. Yeah. It's the industry. I feel like it's part of my job to know these things. But in terms of photography, I mean, I follow a ton of team photographers on social media who are all inspiration to me. And and you just had a great opportunity to spend some time with a lot yeah. of them. Right? And I did. I did. I was in Vegas for winter meetings and we had the first ever team photographer meeting. And I think like 17 of the major league teams were represented there. And it was awesome. It was just 
the first time all of us had gotten together like that. And while I know a lot of the team photographers, it was an opportunity to meet a bunch of new guys and gals and just kind of, it was like a meeting of the minds, share how other teams run their photo departments and access was a big thing. Mm -hmm. And what kind of access do you have to your players, which is always a conversation. And I don't know. I mean, I'm constantly being inspired by new photographers, but I mean, as much as social media is a negative thing, there's many positives to it. And like for me, having access to see other photographers work yeah. so easily is definitely a nice thing. That's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. So I got two more things I got to talk about here. Really, really hugely important. And then give I got, it, give and it then to I, us, John. I have a little surprise for you guys as oh, well. Oh, no. Yeah, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get you. Two more things that I just need to point about the year in culture 2018 okay red dead redemption 2 on playstation 4 mm -hmm. it, 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 it's amazing um, my wife uh, is thrilled and my friend who gave me this um mm -hmm. it's really improved our uh, you know the amount of time we talk and things like that but um <laughs> i i couldn't recommend it highly enough but i gotta say there's a book that i am reading right now which I will not stop talking about. And everyone can concur, especially Fact my wife. Checked. Every morning, my wife wakes up and I'm like, you can't believe what happened in this book. <laughs> it's called Boom Down. It's by Sam Anderson. It is about Oklahoma City. Mm -hmm. And that makes no sense. And he is not from I'm sleeping Oklahoma right City. now, John, actually. It is. It is the most fascinating book I've ever read. Uh huh. It's a bold statement. It, I, I'm telling you, it will change you. You can't believe anything dumber than the way Oklahoma City was founded. It was literally founded in a land run where everyone just kind of lined up at the border and then ran to grab whatever land they wanted. And that sounds like something that happens in like 1600, but it was actually 1889, 130 years ago. And there are still it, it, the craziness in this book of the history of Oklahoma City. It, it, you, there's no way to describe it properly. You have to read this book. It sounds ridiculous to say, go read a book about Oklahoma City, but Boomtown by Sam Anderson, it is mind-boggling how good it is and it interweaves also the 2013 oklahoma city thunder naturally uh, yeah i because he the way the book came about is he was sent to oklahoma city to write a story about the 2012 thunder and he just did some research on the place and as i'm now finding out was just like this is the weirdest place ever <laughs> and I, i'm telling you this book like it sounds ridiculous to say i'm gonna pick up this book about oklahoma city and read it and Oh my God! You got to pick up this book and read it. Noted. All right, John. I'll okay. add it to my list. So here's what here's the last thing we're going to do before we uh, go watch the ball drop and everything like that. Mm -hmm. We're going to each do two New Year's resolutions. Oh, good Lord. One baseball related, one non baseball related. I know what my baseball related would be. Let's hear it. Take my kids to a game as like a baseball fan. I have an almost seven year old and an almost five year old, and I've never taken them to a game. And They're I'm fun. embarrassed to say that, but my thing has always been on my off time the last thing I want to do is yeah. go to a baseball game <laughs> but at the same time it's not okay that I haven't taken my kids to a game uh, you should fix that so I'm gonna find a game with my husband and take our daughters to a baseball game and have a hot dog and sit put my camera down and enjoy the game that's awesome that's Hillary, good... what's your baseball resolution my baseball resolution I hate to say it because I hate it so much but I feel like it's important I would like to try and understand these advanced stats that everybody's talking about much more than I already do because I just don't care about 
F war and you know exit velo and all this other nonsense that everybody keeps talking about but I feel like I should understand it because maybe it's interesting I think it's just the the inherent like math hater in me who doesn't want to look at numbers if I don't have to so my my baseball resolution is to be a little bit more open-minded about Hmm. the advanced stats and metrics that's really cool and i and i would love to i give you a lot of credit (laughs) i would love to help in any way i can not that i'm an expert in it but also i look forward to seeing how that enters your stories that's Mm -hmm. really interesting john i would like to try to have an actual conversation with a player in spanish by the end of the year oh that's a good one i've been working on it since that ill-fated trip to the dominican republic (laughs) where i felt lost beyond recognition it's not you know, I, I do a little bit every day. I'm very far from being comfortable. But I would like to, you know, I'm not saying that this needs to be for publication or, you know, needs to be a full-on thing. But I would like to at least be able to go up to somebody and talk to them in their language. That's kind of my goal for this year, by the end of the year. That's good. I like that. Goals. Yeah. So let's hear, very different. Let's yeah. hear non-baseball now. I mean, I want a free solo out cap, obviously. (laughs) No, I do have many, many climbing goals that I would like to accomplish just to be a better climber. But right now, honestly, my resolution, I just adopted a puppy, which John hates because John doesn't have a puppy. Um, One day, John. My resolution. Julie, if you're listening. (laughs) My resolution is (laughs) to make that dog the best dog in all the land, which is going to be hard because I already have the best dog in all the land. That's a lot of pressure. But, um, they could share the title. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want the new puppy to be a very good citizen. I've never trained a dog from like puppydom to adulthood because I got Ozzy and he was already like housebroken. He knew a lot of his commands already, so he was already like good. You're all in. Yeah. For this guy, this is a whole new situation. So we're learning. So I, I have... One thing, you know, I used to, when my kids were a little younger and I had a little more time in different ways, did a lot more running. Mm-hmm. Trying to get back into that now. I've signed up for another half and a couple other things. So my resolution is just to be really consistent with running. But um, the other thing that I, I want to have more, like, catches with my son and daughter. That's cute. Like that. I want yeah, to get outside right. with them more. That's um, good. Because we do, we spend time together and we have a good relationship and all that stuff. But... <laughs> Yeah, I kind of want to just sometimes put down the board game or yeah. Lego set or something like go that. Go toss a ball somewhere. Let's throw a ball around. So I did, I did coach T-ball this past year, so I want to do that again. Coach. Too. Coach Schwartz over coach. here. Coach. Well, I have a big birthday coming up in March. 50. 21. 21. <laughs> um, I'll be entering a new decade, and I want to take a real vacation mm. where I just kind of shut down, phone off, sit on a beach, have like zero obligations, wake up maybe at 10 o'clock in the morning and not six (laughs) o'clock and just kind of just unwind, whether it's two days a week, just a real vacation because I feel like I haven't had like a beach vacation like that in a long, long time. And I think I've worked my tail off to deserve that. I think you deserve it. I think everyone deserves those catches and those vacations and those yeah. well-trained puppies. Well-trained puppies. <laughs> I would like, you know what, I mean, I think, I would like, you know, maybe like if we could pick a day in November and just like kind of parade up the Canyon of Heroes. Mm-hmm. Um, that would so, work. Yeah. That's, like that. a, yeah. that's a pretty early good Early November one. I would aim yeah, for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, right. too cold. Yeah. Right. Um, right, right. Right after Halloween, but right before mm-hmm. Veterans Day. That's, yeah. that's resolved to try to do that this year. You know what, why don't we go talk to some people? All right. Well, I think Cashman, I mean, I, we saw Cashman in the hall yeah. earlier. <laughs> we can, uh, we can. Pass it on. Yeah. Pass it on. Pass on. Let's try to do that. Save let's, the let's resolve to spend some time together <laughs> in, in the Canyon of Heroes. Guys, thanks for a great year. Happy holidays. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And we'll see you in the in. 
2019. Yep. Bye. Bye.